0: done my research. But in reality, research is a lot more than a few Google searches.
1: And the problem is, when you picture a researcher, you probably think of somebody wearing a lab coat and trying to take over the world. I'm Anna. And I'm Beck. We're two researchers wanting to break down these stereotypes in a fun way. Welcome to We've Done the Research podcast, where we chat to researchers about who they are, the amazing work they're doing, and why it's so important. So, today on the podcast, we have Kath, who is a first year PhD student, and her research focuses on studying and classifying tumors in patients with skin cancer and trying to understand why cancer treatments stop working in some patients. So, Kath, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Very happy to be here.
1: Um. So, we'll kick it right off um so did you always want to be a researcher?
2: So I think I've got first got interested in science when I was in primary school but I never thought I would be a researcher um it was sort of just like admiring (laughs) admiring the scientists and like the stuff that they do um and I was also kind of mm, inspired or encouraged by my science teacher to take the subject but Yeah, like back then, I never really thought about becoming a scientist myself. I was just interested in studying um, the science subjects in school always. Um, Yeah, but (laughs) I wasn't interested in doing research until pretty late into my degree. Um, Yeah, so I did a Bachelor of Medical Science at UCD. And it wasn't until probably the second half of my second year that I got interested in immunology and really considered um, taking it to further studies. Yeah.
1: Yeah, awesome. So after you um, finished with your undergrad, did you go on to do honours?
2: Yeah, so I went in a pretty linear pathway uh, where I took honors and then continued on to do my PhD with the same group. Yeah.
0: Oh, nice. So usually people who do that undergrad want to go into medicine. So was that your original plan?
2: Um, I did think about medicine. Actually, I thought about it for quite a long time. It started probably back in high school when everyone was thinking about medicine. Um, Yeah,
0: (laughs) I feel like in high school, you knew about, you know, three jobs. It was like doctor, lawyer or, you know, one other thing.
2: (laughs) exactly uh, but now I think about it I actually think high school is probably a terrible time to make a decision to go into med yeah um, absolutely. Yeah, because you're not as aware well unless you're like super self-aware and also um just know about all the other options out there but that wasn't me for sure um so I never uh yeah, so I never really committed to doing medicine or want to progress to do med. Um, and then, of course, the thought came up again during undergrad because I did a bachelor of med science So everyone around me was, "Oh yeah, let's go for GAMSAT, let's try to for, try for MD." Um, but I think I, there was because the subject that really grabbed me during undergrad was immunology so I wanted to um, do give research a little bit of a chance like give it a try give it a go that's why I decided to do honors and like during that time yeah I wanted to really give give research like a real go and really commit to it so I never really thought about medicine very seriously back then either Um, and then like as time progressed i kind of realized that myself um like my me wanting to do med was more so to do with the peer pressure and the family expectation than yeah me really wanting it as a career for myself
0: I think that's so important because I think when you're in that sort of pressure cooker of uni and you have all those pressures around you and you see everyone else go, you know, wanting to be a medical student or wanting to be a doctor, you you do feel this pressure to also want to take that path. When And so I, I just commend you for recognizing, you know, that's actually not what I want. Um, yeah. And can you talk a little bit about your family pressure as well like how did that how did that come about and how did you tackle that
2: well actually I'm pretty grateful for my family in general I think they're quite supportive of what I want to do um but but um my most of my family didn't go to uh, college my dad was the first one that went to university and got a degree although he uh, ended up, he got a degree in math, but he ended up hating it and uh, <laughs> yeah. like changing path. Well, it's probably like not um how does it like not unexpected because he got he went to do the math degree because of his soccer scholarship so uh, the two things had like probably no correlation and he ended up you know yeah spending most of his college time playing soccer instead but anyway, so that's a different story um but (laughs) i know but besides that like yeah most of my family have pretty i would say minimal knowledge um of science in general and yeah none of my family has any medical science yeah knowledge or degree background anything like that so did you have an
0: instructor or something who um who you saw and you thought oh I'd love to be like them or did you have a mentor or something who led the way for you
2: Pretty much. So when I said I really got interested in this in second half of my second year um, of my bachelor's degree, was yeah, there was like a very um, pivotal moment I guess for me, um, which was in my very first immunology lecture, and um, I love seeing your
0: face (laughs) light up about it as well. Your your eyes are just glowing talking about it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like I said, it was really my very very first lesson for immunology um and it was completely unexpected because previous to that lecture i i would say i had like very minimal understanding of immunology um you know, I just thought thought of it as uh, the immune system helps to defend us against disease, and that was it. Um, Yeah, and so I walked into the lecture theater like completely not expecting anything really. Um, But however, there was kind of a coincidence, which was it was uh, the year 2018. And uh, yeah, unless you're not aware, that was the year when uh, two immunologists, Alison and Hanjo, got the... um, uh, Nobel Prize of Phys- Physiology and Medicine. I think that's the official title. Uh, yeah, for their discoveries of the immune checkpoint. Um, and so I was literally telling my friends about it, uh, you know, that like five minutes before the lecture officially starts. I was just chatting to my friends about it. And the lecturer walks in and he used that as the opening to the lecture. And I was like hooked from that moment. Oh but of course, gosh. it was also... <laughs> And it was also because his lecture was very, very good. Um, I think I'm allowed to say his name, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I get a
2: shout out. So it's Professor Nathan Palandera, and now he's actually one of my co-supervisors.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) What a journey. That's so exciting. So he's really inspired um, your career path. And now you have him as a mentor, which is so yeah. exciting.
2: So yeah. together,
0: what is the big immunology um, problem that you're trying to tackle? Yeah.
2: Hmm. Um- so initially, I was like I said, I thought of the immune system as uh, our tool, our tool to defend us against infectious diseases. But as I learned a little bit more into the sub- subject, the topic, um, I realized that I was more interested in its role in like pathophysiology in terms of basically all human diseases um the immune system has a role somewhere you know whether it's Mm. the initial inflammation or whether it's the um uh the actual killing of the pathogen or the cancer cells or whether it's like the resolution when you know the tissue heals and scarring forms there's always some sort of immunological immunological response there and Mm. i was yeah super amazed by this um because, yeah, coming from my initial thought of like just a very simple and singular role, it, it became something that's just a very like a network system inside of our body. And I was very intrigued by that. And then I was yeah, also. That is
0: what we hear a lot mm-hmm. about. You know, you get sick and then your immune system kicks in. But it's actually mm-hmm. kind of happening all the time. It's always there, yes. Yeah, healing and killing the bad cells and um, Mm. even stopping bad things from happening before they start. I I know, Mm. I don't know if I should bring this up now, but um, you know, for some people, their own immune system can kill cancer cells before they start. So you may not even See that they have cancer because their own body can kill it, which is, I think is just the coolest thing in the whole
1: world. <laughs> it's like the little silent assassin, it's like working in the background all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 It's always there. It's always present, always working. Like a complete it's a complete system of our body. Um, and then I got really interested in how the immune system actually differentiates what is our self and what is like pathogenic or uh, foreign to our body. And I realized that this information is not actually inherited. Well, at least the um, adaptive system, so the T cells, B cells, the lymphocytes are not, um, the adaptive immunology is not inherited from our parents like probably the rest of our body uh, is, probably. And okay. yeah, mm. and
0: T and B cells are different cells within the immune system. So the immune system isn't just one thing. There's lots of different cells that are together make up the immune system, and they're fighting off all the bad cells that are, you know, trying to make us sick.
2: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much like coordination going on as well. Um, <laughs> Teamwork. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely. <laughs> um, and then. My other uh, major was pathology as well. So I guess the bridging topic between the two majors was really, well, cancer. And yeah. um, it was, yeah, learning about how, like you said, initially our own immune system is able to actually control cancer outgrowth, but somehow or eventually um, as you know, a person ages, uh, maybe they become less um, immunocompetent um, in in controlling cancer, but I guess also infectious diseases as well. Um, But I was mostly interested in cancer. And then um, also bring back the second year (laughs) immunology lecture again. So I mentioned that the um, Nobel Prize was for the discovery of immune checkpoint markers immune checkpoints um, which are yeah which are molecules on um, immune cells particularly T cells let's focus on T cells so these checkpoints when they're expressed on T cells they tell the T cells to stop being um, so, angry all the time so responsive okay. <laughs> so effective We're like the
0: therapist and... to ourselves
2: okay <laughs> uh, yeah kind of yeah <laughs> because <Calm down>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly because if the t-cells is going too hard um on its um yeah like whether it's the most likely it's a cytotoxic response against cancer cells. Um, if, if it's going too hard at it, then it will lead to a lot of collateral damage as well to our healthy body tissue. So then we have, yeah, so then it, it will, if the checkpoints are expressed and um, on the tumor cells, uh, it will tell the T cells to stop. But of course, we don't want them to be expressed on the tumor cells because then the T cells will stop um, killing the tumor. So then comes the, I guess, the, um, I would say it's the uh, state-of-the-art um, immunotherapy treatment for melanoma currently, which is the type of cancer that I'm working on. So basically, well, how do we stop the checkpoints from stopping the T cells uh, to target the tumour cells? Well, we block it. (laughs) So it's basically an antibody that blocks the checkpoints. um, And then so the T cell will become responsive again, essentially.
1: Awesome. And for our audience, can you um, maybe explain what immunotherapy is? Because I mean, I guess in cancer treatment, you hear a lot about radiotherapy and chemotherapy, but immunotherapy maybe isn't heard about as much. So um, yeah, could you just explain a little bit about what it is and how it works?
2: Oh, okay, so that's a pretty big topic to try and explain. <laughs> but if I were to try to if I were to simplify it, um so initially like what Anna had said, uh so our immune system is able to control cancer outgrowth, but for some reason they eventually stop. So immunotherapy is or a big part of, I guess, a part of immunotherapy, a sub- subgroup of immunotherapy is working on how do we harness that initial energy that we had against uh, cancers, against cancer cells, and tune it up in people that have dampened that response. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, so it's boring, so, or, or get, I guess, activating, reinvigorating our immune system to uh, kill cancer.
0: That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Within cancer, there's so many different types. And I understand even within um, melanoma, which is one type of cancer that you are studying, there's lots of different um, cells within melanoma. So is there a way that we can get our immune system to recognize, again, all of those different cells? Or are there certain cells that we're you're trying to tackle?
2: So... Uh, Maybe it will be easier for the audience to understand if I try to compare it against conventional therapies. So, for example, um, targeted – actually, let's go from chemotherapy and radiotherapy. Those are like general therapies that target – or they kind of target all cancer cells because they are mm-hmm. very general mm-hmm. they basically target all uh fast proliferating cells or you know that you irradiate a certain location where the tumor is approximately um yeah.
0: and so it may hit the bad cells but it may also mm-hmm. hit a lot of good cells
2: yep, that, exactly, yeah exactly exactly it's very non specific um, let's say. Yeah. and also the other thing is if we use those conventional therapies as a treatment, it doesn't really prevent recurrence of cancer. Uh, so you may kill the initial tumor or tumors, and but there's nothing preventing that from happening again because, well, the immune system is still not able to control them in the first place. Um, mm. Yeah, and also, yeah, it's, it's a very general, non-specific treatment. Um, oh, and so... I guess in the context of melanoma, that really didn't help the patients a lot uh, because the death rate, the high death rate of melanoma comes from recurrent disease. Um, So if we were trying to improve patient survival, we really have to think about how do we prevent that from happening? How do we prevent uh, recurrence and further metastasis of the disease? So moving on from Conventional therapy, though we started to treat patients with targeted therapy, which is essentially yeah targeting a certain mutation on the cancer cells. Um, but you know, it's this is this is um, different to conventional therapy. This type of therapy is very specific. Um, it will only kill cells that has that that has that particular mutation. However, the problem is, it will not help patients who do not have that mutation. Um, Yeah,
0: Right. (laughs) Okay, so it's very specific. It's going to kill the cancer cells, but it's only for people with those specific cancer cells. So that's very important.
2: Mm. Um, yeah so that's good but then the way to develop I guess resistance against targeted therapy is that the cancer cells will learn to develop other mutations and then yeah it will eventually outgrow (laughs) and yeah beat the targeted therapy I guess
1: they're so smart these Mm. cancer cells how are they how are they they just learning all these new things (laughs) uh and they're super adaptive
2: unfortunately
1: yeah and so with the um mutations is it like is it more likely to happen in certain groups of people where the treatments will stop working like it could be in terms of like it's more likely in men or women or people that are younger or older
2: oh actually um I've been working on a project, I've been trying to finish up a project on AYA melanoma. And AYA stands for adolescents and young adults. Um, And there are a very special subset of uh, melanoma patients um, in that they have a... Good disease outlook when they are in when the, when their disease is in the earlier stages, um, but once they progress to advanced disease, which means that their melanoma has metastasized, um, their uh, outlook is very very bad. They have very mm-hmm. poor survival and also actually very poor uh, response to. Uh, um, immunotherapy, so our checkpoint inhibitors as well. Um, yeah, so we've been trying to understand why that is the case. And actually, so initially we thought, um, is it because their mutational profile is very different to the older adults? Um, because because generally uh, melanoma develops as a result of that cumulative uh, mutation developing as we are exposed to the sun for a more prolonged period of time. So we can imagine that an older individual in their maybe seventies and eighties, you know, have accumulated just that much of um, uh, IR radiation, uh, infrared radiation exposure compared to a young patient below thirties, which, you know, just wouldn't have the same amount of exposure to sunlight. Um, However, we, found that their mutational profile is actually very similar to older adults, um, which is quite interesting. So that tells us that maybe there is extrinsic. So intrinsic factors refers to the tumor mutational profile. And, like, you know, if it has different mutations, maybe it will uh, grow faster, better, become more invasive, etc. And the mm-hmm. extrinsic factors are things Maybe in the other parts of um, the body or the system, such as our immune system. Um, so then, I became very interested in studying their um, tumor microenvironment, meaning the um, the the tumor where the tumor develops. There's also um, a little like niche that it forms surrounding itself um, mm. that's made up of lots of different cells, lots of different. Um, molecular signals as well. Uh, Yeah, that um, either, usually the tumor microenvironment can um, help the tumor to grow better and establish, you know, like their own little nest that prevents maybe immune cells from targeting themselves. And so far, we've found that the tumor microenvironment in AYA, so Patients below thirty who has advanced stage melanoma, their tumor microenvironment is actually more immunosuppressive. Um, yeah, they have more um, regulatory cells that tell the T cells to stop killing the melanoma cells. Um, yeah, it's super fascinating. Um,
0: oh wow! So yeah. their tumors learn how to tell your immune system, you know, go away. We're fine. We're just part of the body. You know, you don't need exactly. to attack us. Oh no. So, so your research now is trying to figure out how to stop that from happening. Is that correct?
2: Mm, yeah. And also, well, I will focus first on understanding what mechanisms are causing that to happen, understanding what's um uh, what's at play? Why the patients are not responding to our um, standard immunotherapy? And then, of yeah. course, move on to work out. Um, first of all, how if if we can? How do we stratify the patients in the first place? Because although immunotherapy has uh, been very effective. Um, oh, I should mention that. Um, so previously, I said conventional therapy doesn't prevent recurrence. Immun- immunotherapy, we're trying to harness the energy of our immune system to recognize it again. And also... If that's the case, maybe we can prevent recurrence as well because our immune system will be constantly monitoring what's going on inside our body. Um, yes. And, Have you yeah. seen any
0: of those memes uh, for, um, for COVID-19 where they're like, you know, he, he, here's they show a picture of a fork to your immune system. It says, anytime you see a fork, make sure to kill it. And so <laughs> then like COVID comes and he has fork hands and then they're like, okay, kill him. And, and so it's teaching your immune system. Anytime you see this type of cell... You need to kill it from now on and for the rest mm. of your life. Mm, exactly. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully other people have cool. seen
1: those funny videos. <laughs> is there any studies at the moment showing um, that immunotherapy is useful in preventing recurrence?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so clinical studies have actually shown um, patients. We so immunotherapy has extended uh, the overall and progression free survival of melanoma. Like, I think. Um, many like much longer than conventional and targeted therapy but also like previously i think melanoma patients um who have a complete response to conventional targeted therapy um, for an extended period of time um Mm -hmm. is approximately only like uh around 20% or so, whereas with immunotherapy that has increased to uh, 50 and maybe even up to 80% in some cohorts, uh, uh, sorry, 70% in some cohorts, which is a huge increase just for, yeah, for melanoma patients because um, I should also mention that previous to immunotherapy, there was like very limited tools to treat these patients with advanced disease. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was either conventional therapy, which didn't work very well, like we said, it's very non-specific, or targeted therapy, but targeted therapy can only be used on a certain subset when they have Mm -hmm. that mutation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so before immunotherapy came came into play, yeah, there were just very, very limited options for these patients. Um, So it was very so it was amazing to even just have this already like in the first place. Um,
0: I love that. Yeah. We're harnessing your own immune system to basically fight disease for you, which is so interesting. And you mentioned that you stratify patients. Maybe you can explain to our audience what that means.
2: Mm. Um, So although I like to brag about immunotherapy and say all (laughs) these amazing things about it, um, it is it does also come with with its own set of side effects, right? So uh, yeah, toxicity, immunotoxicity. So um, essentially, if I were trying to explain it um, in a nutshell, like if you tune up the immune response, um, it's a systematic effect. So you will also tune up the immune response in other parts of your body. Um, And the most Common side effects, I would say, would be in the guts because your guts is actually has a very interesting immune environment because that is the place where it's exposed to lots of foreign foreign things uh including yeah, your food because good. you know the food is not a part of your body and then you also have your gut microbe which is um not really a part of your body and you're also constantly exposed to just lots of things from outside which we consider as foreign so if we tune up the immune response that can actually uh, lead to um increased inflammation in the gut area as well so that could be um yeah one of the side effects but um what I want to say about this is that if patients come in and how do we if they um so we know that certain patients respond to immunotherapy and maybe roughly let's say around fifty percent still do not have a very good response. Mm-hmm. how do we prevent those patients from going through you know the treatment course and also having the risk of all those bad side effects as well, how do we prevent them from? going through that basically we can yeah. maybe try to find biomarkers that will tell us okay this patient's going to respond but patient b is going to not respond and maybe patient c is not going to respond and have lots of bad settings, bad side effects from immunotherapy treatment so that's what i mean by stratification if we can find biomarkers that tell us there's information when the patient walks through the door we can direct them to different treatment plans and prevent well like put the right patients on immune therapy but also prevent those who will not respond from uh yeah going through bad side effects and maybe not wow. even having a good response yeah
0: that's so amazing that you can sort of personalize their treatment plan and would you do that by looking at their tumor or or a blood test how how do you figure
2: out the biomarker? Mm. Mm. There's a lot of studies around this area. Um, for me, I am particularly interested in the tumor. So, like I said, the tumor and this microenvironment, and how, and also the spatial relationships in the microenvironment as well. What cells are at play? What molecular signals? What's the mutation um, on their tumors, etc. But I know, however, there are also lots of people doing a um, peripheral like immune immunotherapy study where they use like essentially blood samples to look at the difference between responders and non-responders of immunotherapy and try to find yeah biomarkers that can be I guess easily or more accessible.
1: It is so amazing that there's you know so many people trying to help all these patients in the long run I mean you know it's one thing to be you know diagnosed with melanoma but then to you know go through treatments and have all these side effects it sounds like you know what you're doing is really going to make an, an a huge impact and a difference to people's quality of life which is just amazing
2: i hope so yeah <laughs> i'll try my best to
1: so where are you currently at in your research journey at the moment so i
2: am entering my second year of phd um and concluding my previous project that I mentioned about the AYA melanoma and starting hopefully a new one very soon, um, delving into the spatial relationships of the tumor microenvironment a, a bit further. And also this time looking at a slightly different clinical cohort um, that is um, uh, cleaner. I'm not sure if that would make sense to the audience, but it's um better controlled their treatment plans their treatment regimens has been better controlled and there would be less heterogeneity in terms of the other factors that can contribute to resistance to immunotherapy and yeah so hopefully I will be able to um, get some interesting results from here
0: so by less heterogeneity I mean um, so the patients are more similar so all of those patients would have gotten let's say surgery and then chemotherapy specifically, and then they go on to get the immunotherapy. Is that sort of what you mean by that?
2: Yes, pretty much. Yeah. So, like I mentioned previously, when we didn't have immunotherapy as an option, uh, many people, many patients still had to go on conventional or targeted therapy because there were just no other options. However, if their disease, you know, recurred again uh, and if immunotherapy there was an immunotherapy trial available when they have recurred, then maybe they will go on that trial to see if immunotherapy would work for them. So, That led to um, a big group uh, like the previous, I guess the previous um, cohort that I worked on to have very um, uh, heterogeneous treatment plan previously too. Um, So yeah, so a lot of the um, factors that contributed to their resistance may not have been only related to their immunotherapy response. So for mm. example, if they have received targeted therapy previous to their immunotherapy, maybe that has already changed uh the tumor profile or their tumor microenvironment. Um yeah, so cleaner cohort means everything's kept consistent. Yeah yeah i will be looking this time i will also be looking at a longitudinal cohort where i can look at uh, what their tumor environment tumor microenvironment looked like looks like before treatment and during treatment and maybe after treatment if they have progressed
1: And I suppose in research, that's one of the things that's really important is trying to obviously control all those other factors that, you know, can influence what your experiment is trying to do, because the more that you control everything else, you can Mm. make sure that what you're doing is sort of working as it's supposed to, basically. Yeah. Very exciting. And I'm excited to hear how your longitudinal um, study goes as well. That sounds really exciting um so we have a bit of a segment now which we call peak and pit uh, where we ask you what is your best and worst part about being a researcher
2: okay I think the best part is getting to work with a lot of people who share the same passion and yeah they all have a lot of Uh, I'm just amazed every day by my peers and colleagues. Like, they all have their own expertise in a certain area. Um, Although, like, not everyone's topic is, you know, directly related to your own, you are still all, like, working on the same problem, same general problem. And, Mm. yeah, it's amazing to work alongside people who are very passionate about this. And it's also been amazing to work alongside the... um, Dr. Uh, I mean, Professor Palandira, who inspired me to go pursue this path in the first place. And yeah, just, yeah, the people is really amazing. Yeah.
0: And what about your pit? What's the worst bit?
2: Uh, um, I think the frustration with things that are not working like I want them to be. Uh, I So my entire, I guess, quote unquote, research journey so far has been during the pandemic Um, and so I initially I was probably anticipating a project that involves more wet lab or you know more immunobiology kind of project um however or that
0: traditional mm-hmm. how you'd picture a scientist wearing the goggles and the lab coat and they have all the pipettes and everything exactly um, that's sort of what you were picturing wasn't it
2: exactly like cell cultures or maybe even mouse models um yeah. that's all behind me now though because <laughs> because although like I am affected by uh, the pandemic. I got to kind of diverge to do a more um, dry lab oriented project that involves a lot of bioinformatics analysis. And I picked up a lot of those skills um, during honours and still learning as I grow. Um, And that has been actually pretty amazing Wait, anyway, this is I'm like going completely off topic I'm supposed to talk about my <laughs> worst experience as a researcher uh, however okay I w- it was very frustrating uh, when I was trying to learn all the new analysis and um, things are not working out like expected and uh, yeah just uh, getting stressed and frustrated I think that would be the worst for me yeah
1: I think every researcher can sort of relate to that where things don't work out as expected (laughs) because it's kind of (laughs) universal to all of us. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And, I mean, turning – because I don't know if our audience knows, but – across Sydney and probably across Australia, a lot of those labs with all the microscopes and, and things like that, uh, they got shut down during COVID mm-hmm. completely. And it disrupted a lot of really, really important research across Australia. And it's impacted you. And it's amazing that you've turned that into a new skill and uh, mm-hmm. you know are sort of revolutionizing the whole area of immunotherapy. So it's so exciting for you and your whole lab. And that sort of brings me to our next segment, which is Audience Asks, where we have some questions uh, from our Twitter audience, our Twitter family. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a question from Daniel Capuro, and he asks, is the research on digital diagnostics? So are you using any type of um, digital technology to help with diagnostics, or is that in the future for, for this type of um, looking mm-hmm. at the tumors?
2: I think um, for diagnosing, there's already a lot of artificial intelligence um, models being used, I believe, uh, cool. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think those um, um, AI models are actually able to differentiate the two. So previously, um, the pathological diagnosis is, you know, a tr- very traditional pathologist looking down the microscope looking at the staining on the slide of the um, tumor sample and then recognizing uh, whether this person has tumor cells or not and well things like AI is able to use uh, machine learning to recognize those patterns and yeah essentially replace the jobs of uh, pathologist but I guess. Yeah. Not completely yet though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not completely.
1: One <laughs>
0: way, but they're still not smart yeah, yet. Day. <laughs> <laughs> they still need us these computers (laughs) but that's good because maybe it um makes it so that you can analyze numerous patients in in a faster time than what the pathologist Mm. could do and then still needing pathologists to try to check it over and make sure that it is correct and things like that
2: yeah exactly or like reduce the workload and maybe use it as a initial um initial quick pass and then the uh, pathologists looking at maybe the samples that are more difficult to um, to decide to yeah diagnose.
0: That's mm. incredible. Mm. And um, our next question is from Nasheed Hafiz, who says, "I'm from Southeast Asia, where skin cancer is not common. Um, mm. I'm just wondering why there's such a difference." Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, a well, skin cancer is definitely um there's definitely an ethical difference um and just because of the risk factors you know like lighter lighter skin tones are more um have less melanin to protect your cells um and so therefore you would have a higher risk when you're exposed to the same amount of um uh infrared radiation so sunlight um but also another thing is I believe Australia also has the is that called the ozone hole where yeah um, yeah.
1: (laughs) and then there's a yeah there's a hole in the ozone layer which is kind of just falls right above Australia so
2: just unfortunate for us I guess yeah Mm. yeah so yeah yeah, a lot of geographical difference and also uh, also as ethnical, yeah, changes the risk for different people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so if you had a top three tips for people to prevent them from getting skin cancer so they don't have to have their tumors analyzed by you, what can they do?
2: Sunscreen, um, sun protection, yeah, just reduce reduce. um exposure like especially direct prolonged exposure to sunlight of course you still need to enjoy the sun because um you know vitamin d and all that but um definitely sunscreen is so so important um yeah and
0: and what is that safe sort of amount of minutes um where we're getting enough vitamin d but we're not at risk of skin cancer
2: around 30 minutes or so it's enough or an hour but it also depends on person like how efficiently you're able to convert um into vitamin d your body is able to do the conversion etc um and also but also if you have um your sunscreen there in the first place it should be all good you know just yeah yeah, keep reapplying and you know if it's not waterproof remember to reapply etc sunscreen is just super important well it also prevents you know skin aging as well Mm -hmm. yeah super important yeah and if you know you have the risk factors, uh, such as maybe germline mutation or family history of melanoma, uh, definitely be more aware of it and, you know, do the skin checks, um, go to your doctor if you have concerns and just be more aware of it, I, I would say. yeah, Because early diagnosis always helps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Catching it yeah. early. So, so important. Absolutely. So everyone wear your sunscreen, reapply, and uh, make sure to cover up as much as we can. And make sure to think about your family history. Definitely. Um, Kath, if anyone wants to find you and and follow on in your amazing research journey, where can they find you?
2: Uh, uh, good question. Um, I... I started a Twitter account recently. Yeah, that's correct. It's just my full name. So Xin Yu Bai Um is my Twitter handle. Uh, yeah, and you can follow, You can find me there.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so great to chat with you and hear about your research, and I can't wait to see how your PhD progresses in the future.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm just also very grateful for, like, all the interest and attention immunology has been receiving since COVID-19, although, yeah, that's bad overall, I think, People's um, interest in this um, has been the upside for me, at least. Yeah.
0: I definitely have never heard so many people confidently talk about mutations <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> um, so that's been pretty cool. And as an immunologist, I think that would be um, exciting to hear people
1: using terms from your field. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hopefully.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Kath. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on We've Done the Research today to hear Kath talk about her amazing research into immunology. If you'd like to hear more from us, please listen to our previous episodes. Otherwise, you can stay tuned for Season 2, which will be coming later in this year. You can follow us on Twitter at DoneTheResearch or visit our website at Research.info. Thanks so much for listening.